Hi, and welcome back to season two of the Girls Who Gather podcast, a podcast sharing women's stories from a diverse range of backgrounds and stages of life, highlighting the way they are building community, empowering other women, and walking out their calling. We are so glad you've decided to tune in. Our hope for launching this podcast is to extend the voice of Gather beyond the physical spaces where we meet in our cities, campuses, and apartments. We want to make our content even more accessible to all of you. With an incredible diversity of feminine voices, we want to create a catalog of stories, testimonies, and inspirational content that you and your friends can always return to. We will also be announcing gathered news, updates, and other exciting events coming up on this platform. Stay tuned for more from us as we journey through this next season together. And as you listen, we encourage you to lean in and learn from some truly incredible women. All right, so today's episode is so good. Um, We got to interview Rhiannon Bell, Dr. Rhiannon Bell, who is an incredible psychologist and she also is the director of aftercare at an incredible organization which you'll hear more about Um, but she was just so kind so wise and her story personally is also really powerful so um, but I love how she spoke to just sort of this like large-scale idea of healing because she works in human trafficking and you know trying to abolish something like trafficking is a huge endeavor so what does it look like to actually uh, pursue sort of healing in a systemic way we talked a little bit about that we talked about um yeah more of her story of of trauma and just how she was walking in, in some personal trauma while also trying to help others through theirs so what did you like about this episode Morgan. I loved Rhiannon's brilliance and her candor at the same time. She <laughs> was like the type of friend you would be getting coffee with and then she would start talking yes. about some complex theory as though it was like the simplest thing. <laughs> um, but then she's also super brave. Like she yes. moved to America with no connections here, no plan. And I just would love for her to be an older mentor in my life if I, I lived in Texas. So listen to this episode, people. Yeah, you do not want to miss this. It's so good. And if you're curious at all about issues of justice and what it looks like, you know, to pursue sort of the healing of, of a systemic issue um, mm-hmm. or the ending of a of something like slavery, then you should listen in. And yeah, we're so excited. I'll see you. Woo. Dr. Rhiannon Bell is the global director of Aftercare at A21, a global nonprofit that helps fight against human trafficking. As the director of Aftercare, she oversees the aftercare of survivors of human trafficking who enter the A21 program in Greece, Bulgaria, Ukraine, South Africa, Thailand, Cambodia, and the U.S. Previously, she was a clinical psychologist for nine years. She still is, but she worked at the Psychology Cafe Clinic located in Australia, where we grew up. As a clinical psychologist, Rhi was excited about her opportunity to join A21 as she felt the combined passion for justice, purpose, and professional skills. She is an amazing woman, both of just faith and renown and so much knowledge, and we are so excited to have her on the podcast. I will let her tell more of her story and background. Rhi, thank you for being here. We're so thank excited to you, have Lauren. you. Thank you, Lauren. That was quite the introduction. It's exciting <laughs> to be here. Yeah, we're so glad you're here. So it's so good to see you again. Uh, yes. Fun fact for those of you listening, Rhi and I worked together um, two, three years ago at 821. Yeah, it was a couple of years ago now in yeah. California. <laughs> in fact, when the office was in California and I was just an intern, um, but I really admired Rhi for her work and just her incredible spirit. She is so wonderful in so many oh, ways. Thank um, you. 
Yeah, so it's good to see you again. But we mm. just wanted to start. We like to start with just a little bit on the upbringing of our guests. So we would love if you could just talk about mm-hmm. where you're from and uh, yeah. a little bit about how you were raised and how that impacted maybe your decision to work in the area that you work in today. Very cool. So I'm Australian. (laughs) So I actually grew up in a small, like on a farm in Australia, Mm -hmm. in the outback. So think like remote. So the closest (laughs) McDonald's and set of traffic lights was an hour and a half away. Oh my gosh. It was remote. So I'm one of five kids. I've got a twin brother, two older sisters and a younger brother. My dad was a farmer. um, So lived in this farming community, farmed wheat and sheep uh, for 15 years, first 15 years of my life. Went to my primary school and had about, oh gosh, less than 30 kids in it. My high school had about 180 kids in it. And then wow. um, at the age of 15, my parents sold our family farm. It had been in our family for like 100 years, but no one wanted, like my brothers didn't want to take it on. We, it was a drought <laughs> area. So they made what I, I'm very thankful for, like a wise decision at the time to sell the farm. And we relocated interstate to Queensland, which is sort of on the, the northeastern state in mm-hmm. in Australia. So moved there to probably one of the most beautiful parts of Australia. So we went from like remote <laughs> outback Australia to this beautiful part of Australia known for its beaches um, and lifestyles. So growing up um, when I was on the, the farm, our church, my uh, family's Christian, so we would go to church, but the church it was a small AOG church mm. um, in the country, probably only 15 to 20 people, and there were seven people in our family. So, Oh, my gosh, <laughs> my you were half the church. Worship, and she's, you admit, she's not the best singer. My sister would play piano. My brother would play the drums. Like, it was a family affair, but that was the only sort of um, church Christian influence around. We were probably, there was one other family who were Christians in our high school, Um and us, so when we moved interstate to, to Queensland, it was uh, my daughter's sisters had left home by then, were in college, but um, we were suddenly in this church that was, it was only 100 people at the time, but mm-hmm. it had a youth group and it seemed cool and we went to a Christian school that had a couple of thousand people. So that was like a huge change for my brothers and I, but just mm-hmm. probably... Um, kind of life-saving from a spiritual perspective. And then I think if we'd stayed in that more country community, while it's great and this country lifestyle can be fantastic, I think for us spiritually that was a turning point for Mm -hmm. my brothers and I. And my younger brother is actually the senior pastor of that church and it now has like nine campuses, including one in South Africa. And it's it's thousands of people. It's (laughs) growing from like 100 people to thousands and thousands. Mm -hmm. So it's just been amazing to see how God worked through that. that wow. move. Yeah. Um, so you, you moved into psychology, work in psychology, and, mm-hmm. and you have your clinical PhD, which is amazing, your clinical doctorate. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what got you, what got you interested in, in psychology and what yeah. moved you to, to really work in this field? It's a hard field. <laughs> it is a hard field. Um, so I was in grade 12 and I went to a Christian conference called mm-hmm. Planet Shakers, which is Planet Shakers <laughs> is now a church. You may be familiar with it or okay. familiar with the worship. It's mm-hmm. a um, church now in Australia. But it was a conference back in the year 2000. I went to this conference. You start in grade 12. You start mm-hmm. um, the schooling year at the start of the year, so January in mm-hmm. Australia. Um, and I saw it was actually a World Vision commercial with Tony Campolo, <laughs> um, like so old now, but 
And through that, God really spoke to me. It was showing me these pictures of like starving children in Africa to sponsor children. And God spoke to me about being a psychologist. Mm. I think there was like through that, it was like seeing the trauma Mm. um, and the adversity that these kids go through. Um, And I came back from that conference and just knew that I wanted to be a psychologist um, and worked really hard and was able to to get into college, Um, did a year of Bible college before that and then did my honours, Bachelor of Psych Science, Psychological Science with honours and then my doctorate in clinical psychology. But the cool thing about that is later when I was in private practice, the private practice was a not-for-profit clinic and all of the proceeds went to trauma rehabilitation. Wow. Um, especially in northern Uganda, um, rehabilitating victims of war, human trafficking and natural disaster. So the war component was, um, it was a trauma rehabilitation program for um, child soldiers and people who had experienced the war in Uganda. So it was cool to go there in 2014 with my old boss, Dr. Robbie Sondrega, um, who wrote the program and sort of see, oh, wow, God spoke to me years ago when I was, like watching these videos, this video, this World Vision video, and I saw the trauma Mm -hmm. um, that some of these kids go through and then I was there sort of doing work and training people in that program. Yeah. And that's a program that A21 actually uses. Wow. Okay. What a full circle. So trauma really like drew you in. It didn't turn you away. That's really interesting. Yeah. I think I've always sort of liked connecting more one-to-one with people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And with psychology it was being able to – work one-to-one with people and sometimes families and couples but uh, really seeing the transformation that takes place is in people's life can be rewarding and and walking alongside them during their healing journey it can be challenging at times because um, life doesn't always work out as planned and even when clients would be coming in um, to for therapy they experience challenges along the journey like it's it's not always like, oh, they come and see a psychologist and everything's fine. Then no, um, there's a lot of things that contribute to someone's trauma. So it was always great to have those wins, but it could be challenging as well when things happened and, and people didn't always experience the outcomes that they wanted to. But it was always such a privilege to be with clients yeah. on that journey of healing. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, um, so you're working in this very personal role, very mm-hmm. one, one-on-one, you know, as a psychologist in Australia, but then you packed up everything to go yeah. and work with A21 as the global aftercare director. Um, mm-hmm. So we would love to just hear a little bit more about this decision and what it's been like to work with A21 and especially what you appreciate maybe about A21's approach. Yeah. So I was working in private practice in Australia for nine years um, and then really felt I was um, in the role of acting clinical director. Then during that time, I was actually married at 29, uh, sorry, at 26. Lauren, I don't know if you know this part of my story. Yeah. So I was married at 26, married for two and a half years, and then my ex-husband just very unexpectedly walked out one night. Wow. Um, No explanation. So I was um, doing marriage therapy with clients, oh um, sort of, and where I was from was a smaller community, probably a couple of hundred thousand people, but I'd been there for a while and we were known as the clinic with Christian psychologists. So um, sort of people knew what was going on. Um, mm-hmm. And so walking through that journey of being a psychologist 
um, and managing a clinic while going through divorce was really challenging. But and I, um, I think I knew that I wouldn't be there forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really felt like, okay, God's going to call me to leave one day, but I need to stick this out, and I'll know when He is calling me. So that was, um, gosh, nearly nine years ago. Wow. So it was probably um, a few years after that, and I sort of just did the hard work and um, continued working, but I really felt like there came a time where it was like, okay, God released me from that role, and um, I felt that he, uh, probably 2014, I'd felt just in quiet time that he'd said to me, like, you'll move to America one day, and then later it was, like, in California, and I'd never been to America, so it's not <laughs> like I had this, like, I want oh to live God. in America thing. It was just during that, you know, quiet time with God, it was like, okay, you'll move to America, and I, I only told a couple of people that because I didn't want to be like, I'm going to be moving to America. Um, anyway, so fast forward like three or four years and it's time for me, I just feel like it's time for me to resign. So I gave my old boss six months notice and said, um, here's my resignation. And I felt like I was meant to be in California. And so I like I even looked up Bethel School of Supernatural. I was like, Maybe that's my in. <laughs> like I don't have a job. But then I felt like, no, that's not it. So my plan was to move to Melbourne, set up private practice there. And then three months into my six months notice, um, my Nick Kane, my now boss, um, Christine's husband, was at Hillsong Conference and was chatting with my old boss and said, do you know anyone for this role of director of aftercare for A21? It would involve a move to like LA area in California. <laughs> so I get wow. this message in no between from my old boss saying, hey, read Nick Kane. And I knew Nick and Chris because Chris had been preaching in my youth groups since yeah. I was 15. Like my brother wow. used to drive her when she came and ministered. Oh, my gosh. Church. Yeah, so I didn't know her personally, but I, uh-huh. I definitely knew yeah. of her. Um, so Nick Kane wants to know if you're interested in this role. And I was like, wow, overwhelmed. But um, it was a definite yes. And I'd known A21 and um, they have a really good reputation. And yeah. Even in the le- in the week leading up to sort of getting that um, offer, I'd had all of this stuff about human trafficking come up. Even like I've watched that movie, the movie I think it's Lion. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen it about human trafficking in India. Mm-hmm. I'd had clients talk about exposure to human trafficking and had conversations. I'd even been listening to Christine preach, um, and I've told her this story. <laughs> she was preaching um, a message. I was in the gym working out. And she was preaching and she was so fired up and passionate mm-hmm. and talking about like she was so challenging and I actually turned her off <laughs> because I thought, no, I don't want to go. And she started talking about A21. This is before I got the offer the night wow. before. And I thought, I don't want to go and like change the world. <laughs> I've wow. gone through so much myself. I'm moving to Melbourne and I'm setting up private practice in the richest suburb in Melbourne, working three <laughs> days a week. Um, and I'm going to focus on me. (laughs) I've been through this divorce. I've been managing this clinic. I'm sick of being responsible, like, you know, (laughs) having, and anyway, so I've told her this, um, and it's quite funny, but it was just, there was all this stuff that happened in the the week leading up to it. And then I got off at that job the next day. So I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Can you give so, us a little background on a just for our listeners who don't know what A twenty one is, sure. just on so, on how it works and what the mission is? Yes, A twenty one is a global anti human trafficking organization. Our mission is to abolish slavery everywhere, forever. Uh, so we're now in fourteen countries. 
around the world, uh, we have aftercare officers. So aftercare uh, is working with survivors of trafficking, providing um, restoration services. So we have aftercare officers in those seven locations that you mentioned at the start, Lauren. So Greece, Bulgaria, Ukraine, South Africa, Thailand, Cambodia, and in North Carolina here in the US. But yes. soon, soon opening another location in the US, which is exciting. Um, so yeah, our, we have REACH Rescue and Restore Departments. So REACH is about um, awareness and prevention, educating people about trafficking, really trying to stop trafficking from happening yeah. in the first place. So if we can stop it, that is much better um, than even of having to go in and provide those aftercare yeah. services. So we've got the REACH. Uh, rescue is where we have our hotlines in different countries. We work with law enforcement. We do trainings. Um, so just helping identify victims of trafficking. And Restore is the aftercare services where we really try and provide survivors with um, healing and care um, in the aftermath of their trafficking so that can look like providing accommodation mm -hmm. to them so we have a shelter in Greece where we provide sort of short term sort of up to three months accommodation mm -hmm. and then we have independent independent apartments there as well we provide a lot of rent assistance mm -hmm. uh, to survivors uh, in all of our locations so that they can live independently because a lot of them actually while some do require the long-term of residential mm -hmm. housing a lot actually want to live independently because they have been sort of in a trafficking situation for mm -hmm. so long mm -hmm. confined to a house uh, restricted movement mm -hmm. um, so a lot when they come out they want to get their kids back if they've got kids mm -hmm. they uh, therapy isn't the first thing on their mind it's mm -hmm. often sort of Maslow's mm -hmm. hierarchy of needs the basic needs mm -hmm. of food and shelter and, and water and things like that um, so we work to provide that care. So accommodation, medical care, we do provide the psych support, psychological support as well, dental. Um, and then really our aim for survivors is to help get them to a place of independence and restoration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So whenever they come into our program, it's not that they do our A21 program and mm -hmm. they must complete all of these courses uh, to sort of graduate from the program. We, what we do, our social workers will meet with them and say, what are your goals for mm -hmm. independence? What are your dreams and how can we actually come alongside you and support your dreams? So mm -hmm. that looks different for each survivor. For some of them, it is to get a college degree. Mm -hmm. uh, for others, it's to be repatriated back to their country, mm -hmm. uh, where their home country and be reunited with their children. For some, it's to get a job, to get their car license, to get their mm -hmm. own place. So we work with them on helping them achieve those dreams to get to a place of independence and restoration. And mm -hmm. our definition of re, uh, restoration is low um, vulnerability to re-victimization. Okay. So as part of our aftercare program, we really want to help prevent our, the survivors of trafficking from being re-trafficked mm -hmm. and re-exploited because mm -hmm. those numbers can be high because often what makes someone vulnerable to trafficking those factors can still be present right. post-trafficking uh, and you've got the initial vulnerabilities plus the trauma of trafficking mm -hmm. really can exacerbate the risk factors to being re-exploited. Mm -hmm. So our aim is to really help reduce those vulnerability factors. Um, 
Rhiannon, sort of a follow-up question to that. Does A21 do any work in communities of origin? Um, like kind of in socializing the folks that they're like coming back to you. I am working on my PhD in okay. political science. So we study, I study human trafficking from a, a different angle. Um, yeah. But a lot of like things that I've been interested in are kind of like the the shame that, that happens yeah. when they go back to their community. Um, so I was wondering if A21 works on that at all to you. Yeah. So we really try when a survivor is repatriated back to their home country, we try and link them in with a partner organization who's on the ground That's who awesome. can work to provide the aftercare services because mm-hmm. that shame um, is a big vulnerability to like isolation, withdrawal mm-hmm. from family and community um, and can pre- uh, present as another risk factor to being re-trafficked because mm-hmm. They may not feel supported. They may need uh, work. And so they're vulnerable to false job opportunities, even to trafficking through like the lover boy scenario, which is when a, typically a man, it doesn't always, it's not always a man, someone will pose as like a, a boyfriend uh, and mm. false sort of romantic relationship and woo a woman who's typically vulnerable, feels unloved, um, mm. unworthy, develop this relationship mm. Um, and so she thinks she's in love with him. He promises her this great future. And then once he's sort of built her trust, he will then traffic her. So, um, and I think especially when there is shame, people can be more vulnerable to those sort of, sort of false romantic relationships. So, yes, long story, long answer, no, but we do really try and work with yeah. Um, local organizations on the ground sometimes it can be hard to do the follow-up care internationally um, if there's not that local organization on the ground but we will work with them until the survivor is hopefully in that place of independence and restoration so sometimes that looks like continuing to provide just follow-up calls um, with them financial support uh, and just doing whatever we can to assist them Wow. Well, the Transnational Advocacy Network blows my mind a little bit more every day when I see how everyone's just working together. It's yeah. it's really cool. Very encouraging. And partnership is key. Like we cannot yeah. do this alone. So partnership with law enforcement, with other great NGOs, mm. uh, it's so important. And I think we're really seeing that strengthen, which is fantastic. Yeah. So as as a global director of all of this, what does your what does your day-to-day look like then? Are you doing more of like this, just the whole organization, like where it's going and more management mm-hmm. of teams? Or are you still getting to be one-on-one? Like how does that, how yeah. does that work in yeah, your day-to-day? That's a great question. And it varies so much. So I don't provide the direct sort of counseling to the survivors of trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, practically many times they don't speak right. English. Yeah. Um, secondly, often it, I know COVID has changed this, but face-to-face, mm-hmm. um, therapy is typically better like with someone from your country so um, our aftercare is based on a community model I'll loop back to the question but we really want survivors to um, sort of feel get a sense of living independently within a community so going to see a doctor Mm -hmm. or a therapist so our team may take them to see a psychologist but they'll often see a psychologist or counsellor within their local community their Mm -hmm. age 21 may be funding so I don't do the therapy mm-hmm. um, so I oversee the programs I'm responsible for the program development so my day varies so this morning it started off with a 7am interview with a uh, for a social worker in Cambodia and then it went straight into a training that 
was going on. It looks like a lot of um, writing programs mm-hmm. for our teams, writing trainings, mm-hmm. even um, doing a lot of the legal side of things, making sure we've got up-to-date policies and procedures okay. mm-hmm. um, and vision planning as well. So currently writing a document on sort of five-year vision planning for us care for each country yeah. so mm-hmm. it really does vary a lot um, which is exciting there's never a dull moment mm-hmm. um, and also a lot of um, just sort of case management for the uh-huh. survivor needs so even though okay. I don't do that therapy myself yeah I meet regularly with our teams and go through all of the um, yeah. cases in our care making sure that we're providing sort of holistic support for them mm-hmm. all of the survivors doing risk assessments, uh, accepting new survivors into the program. Yeah, that's great. Mm. Yeah. That's incredible. It's, you're very busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, very, 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 very great. But I guess this question is sort of tangential to that, but both Lauren and I, you know, in our various um, academic studies and then experiences through different internships and things like that, know that this area of human rights work is very intense, um, emotionally, mentally, physically, I'm sure even at sometimes. Yeah. Um, so how have you learned to stay personally well and healthy doing this type of work? Yeah. Um, um, you That's know, in other words, just, you know, when you're engaging with highly traumatized people all the time, how do you stay well yourself? Yeah. And look, it can be hard not to take it on. So mm-hmm. I have supervision once a month with an incredible supervisor. All of our social workers on the ground have external supervision mm-hmm. um, once a month. So we're really prioritized looking after our teams from that perspective to make sure people don't burn out and supporting teams I think working in private practice for nine years really actually helped me to build the muscle of listening to Mm -hmm. difficult stories um, because you do learn to manage it um, professionally Um, but look some days the cases that come in the stories of trafficking are just horrific and it can be a little overwhelming at times so it's really important I think um, to be guarding my heart to be aware that okay the world isn't all horrible and there are still good people in the world and I think when we see the survivors the resilience that they show and um, strength and we see the stories of the the wins that always helps actually to continue so we see the court victories or we um, survivors are reconciled with their children and get the job and graduate from our program that really helps but probably more on a practical um, level it's I need my sleep (laughs) so (laughs) making sure I don't um, say yes to too many things like um, sort of sleep diet exercise Mm -hmm. are really important so exercise is probably my release my outlet um, for mental health as well um socializing but not too much yeah. as an introvert I need my <laughs> a couple of nights of me time so I think I've just learned over the years that those sort of the pillars of mental health of sleep yeah. diet exercise managing um your yeah. thoughts are really important and then that god time to really just making sure that I'm not le- neglecting that which when you're busy and you start your day yeah. with early calls and end your day with late calls in other yeah. countries it can be <laughs> to do that but it's really just making sure I'm prioritizing mm, that yeah. um, and for me that looks like tuning into my body mm. and going okay when am I feeling stressed when am I um, just tired maybe when am I feeling 
like I'm a bit short with people and they're my indicators that I need to actually just stop and journal, have that God time, maybe get some exercise as well. And I think self-awareness is really important because Mm -hmm. um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. (laughs) And I want to be in this for the long haul. Um, And there is like, we do live in a fast paced sort of culture and workplace which is amazing with people who want to change the world Um, but we also need to be looking after ourselves and especially I think during COVID it's been a a difficult time of lockdown and everything that self-care has been so important for people Mm -hmm. worldwide yeah how do you so I want to talk about just like sort of zooming out a little bit Mm -hmm. um we're talking we're in a series right now in gather called be well so we're talking about health we're talking about wellness we're talking about healing and sort of all different areas of that and looking at it from a lot of different angles and um you know you work for an organization that is global that is trying to solve a very big problem and abolish something that has been in existence since you know for forever and so um and it's an incredibly pervasive issue and so um when it when it comes to thinking about sort of healing but on a on a global scale on a on a systemic scale what do you think um what is your hope for in that what do you think is effective about what a21 does and what you how you see it working that you hope that maybe this problem actually can be solved and healed sort of you know globally Oh, well, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> off the top of my head the word that comes to mind is unity mm-hmm. i think really um working together and that's if we look at just on a local community level unity racial but also within churches having unity amongst the denominations i think um for a21 it's unity with other organizations Mm -hmm. yeah i don't i probably need to think about that more (laughs) it's okay (laughs) sorry it's a big question it is a big question (laughs) no i really appreciate that because when i saw lauren put that question down my cynical academic brain was like no there is none there is no hope it is all bad it will never be good (laughs) and 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 it can be hard not to get numbers are huge but i think having that hope and that's where Mm -hmm. the hope like coming down to like seeing the one survivor restored Mm -hmm gives mm-hmm. hope and hearing the stories of restoration really gives hope yeah that, that they yeah. can be healing um, yeah I think what I what I like about what a21 does I'll just answer it for no just kidding <laughs> no, no, please. Uh, no 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 I something that I, I think about with a21 that I think is really significant and, and different is like the attacking it from sort of these the three different areas that you mentioned of reach rescue and restore because there is this like proactive um element to to the reach part to to actually educating and to to trying to solve the problem before it actually starts and to educate and and raise awareness and to put it into the school system I know we have different things that are are trying to actually get this into curriculum for schools and so um I think that's really significant and then and then actually the rescue operations which I which I think you know a lot of organizations do but then the restoration piece being so holistic and covering so many areas I also think is really significant too and so I do think there's there's such a an effective and really sweet way that a21 has figured out how to how to address this problem and I think I think you really have to it isn't something you can just look at from one from one of these buckets you really have to tackle it all three yeah 
it's so complex and I think um, especially with survivors of trafficking often as I was saying before there's been vulnerabilities right. and trauma earlier in life and many times the trafficking's actually not the most traumatic thing right. that the person has been through. Um, right. There may have been childhood abuse and homelessness and poverty yeah. um, so trafficking is uh, the trafficking experience is very traumatic but it's sort of this cumulative trauma yeah. complex trauma that they've yeah. experienced so there's yeah. a lot of healing to take place um, yeah. that needs to take place and yeah. I think even um, like social support is so important that's why we have this community mm-hmm. model we want survivors to be set up in a healthy community and right. and receive that that support yeah mm-hmm. no, that's great yeah and just thinking a little bit more about healing and I guess, you know, trauma a little bit more personally. Um, and again, share whatever you're comfortable sharing or not sharing, but we would love to chat with you a little bit about your divorce. And, and this is often just a topic that is so ostracized in the church, which is insane it considering is. that divorce yeah. statistics do not include, do not exclude the Christians. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> high, if anything, yeah, it's higher. And so we would just, you know, love to hear kind of what wellness has continued to look like for you um, in this space, going through a, a, a horrible traumatic event that you went through. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was, I had a friend at the time who was going through a divorce, um, described his divorce more like a cancer and mine like a car wreck. Mm-hmm. Um, this was this slow one that he saw coming, wow. mine I just didn't see coming. So wow. I think it was the shock of, of getting through that um I I would probably walk it out differently now (laughs) than I did but at the time I was sort of managing a clinic I had gosh I think six other psychologists that I was managing at the time I took three days off work and then went straight back into managing like (laughs) a load of clients uh working five days a week supervising um but I think I was in that shock. Yeah. So I would go to work, counsel others on like getting through pain and hardship and then like leave the office, get in my car and cry and go home to bed. Um, so there was that, so the darkness of those days, which I think anyone who's walking through divorce or it could be a illness diagnosis, like they, you've almost got to walk through those hard days. There's no... Mm-hmm. Um, escaping it Mm -hmm. and I think people often want to just push the pain aside and be like I'm fine and sometimes in our Christian culture we can have this like have joy and hope and that's all good but I think for healthy healing to take place there needs to be an acknowledgement of the pain and there needs to be that yeah grief process and experiencing all the different emotions of anger and Mm -hmm. shock and sadness and everything so um, so, yeah, I took a few days off work and went back to to work. I remember I was telling some colleagues the other day while well, eating creme brulee and I was saying <laughs> the weekend after he'd left, I went out and bought a blowtorch because I was like, what am I going to do? I'll learn how to cook. I'll make creme brulee. Anyway, I know how to make creme brulee. But when you go through like something like divorce and it's very unexpected and I did um sort of no one tells you how to get through it mm-hmm. so you left and people were like you could do anything you could learn a language you can and it's like no I don't really want to do that I just want my husband back mm-hmm. right. um, like, oh. people come with well-meaning advice and gosh I was ignored 
in my church for like 10 months. So I'd grown up in this church and everything, but for 10 months, and I knew that people people knew, but they would just ignore me or ignore the topic. Wow. That is all fine. But I think that just shows my story of sort of going to church, continuing to go to church, but being ignored because it was awkward. I'm not alone in that story. And I know that a lot of other people who are going through divorce or it may be, death of a loved one like people feel so awkward yeah and so I'm very big now on saying if someone is going through something Mm -hmm. hard and awkward to actually just acknowledge it um and just say hey I'm so sorry about Mm -hmm. x how are you and if they don't want to talk to you they won't talk and that's okay and if they burst into tears that's okay too um yes so for me I did sort of push through it went back to work but I had bills to pay as well because suddenly you know, by yourself, left with nothing. Um, so I had to keep working. And work was great for me in terms of a distraction. Um, and it was often when I got home that I'd do the, mm. the healing. And I had great friends too. I had a lot of psychology, mm. psychologist yeah. friends. So that's always helpful. Um, but it was often, it was probably really through that time that my relationship with God did get stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, so you sort of start to dig really deep and I think when people go through hardships it can be a testing of their faith because it's like okay do I actually believe what I say that I've Mm -hmm. been believing for years um and you start to get really real with God and and God gets really real with you and so God was very kind and tender in meeting me Mm -hmm. in my pain and and going through that um and so it's been a a journey it's nine years now and I think I'm pretty restored occasionally. There might be triggers, but um, so that healing has taken place. But it's interesting with grief how it does come up at different times and there Mm -hmm. can be different triggers, um, whether it's anniversaries or songs or or different things. So I think to anyone who's going through that, like be kind to yourself. That was my mantra, just be kind (laughs) to myself. I was going for a run and actually running did help me heal during the time. (laughs) I was going for a run and felt like walking. I would be like, okay, just stop and walk. You can be kind yeah. to yourself. So that was really yeah. important that I didn't put my sort of perfectionistic expectations yes. on myself to like, you need to be Wonder Woman through this and mm. keep going. Um, yeah, so it's just mm. being kind to myself and allowing myself time to heal and being real with the emotion as well. Right. Even though I had my professional face on at work, it was like allowing myself to journal and to grieve and to experience all those different emotions because I think when we push pain down it comes up in other unhealthy mm-hmm. ways yes. so it was C.S. Lewis writes that pain insists on being attended to mm-hmm. uh, and if we don't address the pain it will come up and in different areas so it could be addictions it could be um, yeah. sort of anger issues and bitterness so it's really important to to stop and and look at those issues mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wow yeah, that's encouraging. Well, Ree, you did better than me. I joined the track team senior year of college out of a breakup. Um, let's just say it was not pretty, uh, but I did try. <laughs> but it was not pretty. That's a tough. Yeah, you know, you're like, I can outrun this. Actually, no, I can't. No. <laughs> but oh anyways, yep. gonna stop and address mm-hmm. it. And yeah, we forget that we. 
we like take ourselves everywhere we go. Mm-hmm. So it's like you can leave a situation, you can run mm-hmm. from something, you can move, you know, across across the world, and mm-hmm. you will still be wherever you are. Mm-hmm. So you're, the pain that has gone unattended to is still in need of being attended to. That's Definitely, yeah. so and I think seeing a good therapist helps, yeah. and and doing the work, and it yeah. takes work to heal and recover. Yeah, and I think sometimes that strength is celebrated too mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm all for strength, but I think sometimes. Um, you hear people describe those who are going through grief of, oh, they're so strong. Wow. Um, and almost like ignoring the problem and just keeping on going is yeah. what we're meant to do where sometimes it's like, no, actually, mm-hmm. you should probably take a month or two off or go part-time and actually yeah. allow myself to grieve and mm-hmm. that yeah. would be the healthier approach long-term. That's, we don't yeah. need to look strong all the time. Yeah. That's very true. I think strength is entering into vulnerability, really, when Definitely. you think about it. So, yeah. And so I think good. health is actually still experiencing those painful emotions. So yeah. I think even emotional health isn't feeling happy all the time. I think it's mm-hmm. actually allowing yourself to experience sadness and anger and fear and anxiety, acknowledging them, not allowing them to rule your life yeah. and your behaviours and decisions, but actually mm-hmm allowing yourself the room and the space to look at it and dig deeper and and ask what is this sadness trying to tell me or what is this anger telling me because often those emotions like we were made to experience those emotions um and digging deeper and asking those hard questions about what can I learn from this what needs to change so sometimes Mm -hmm. when we experience those uh, more painful emotions such as sadness or anger it's like okay maybe this relationship is toxic and it needs to be ended or we need to go and get counselling for it um, depending yeah. on the type of relationship and so putting boundaries in place. So yeah, listen to those painful emotions when they come up. Wow. Well, That's so good. Well, mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Yay. This has been incredible. Well, you are incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's been a pleasure. Oh, we're so glad to have you. Thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to You're talk welcome. to us and you are amazing and we just wish you all the best in what you do it is such important incredible work so we just we thank thank you for not just your time but also for your day-to-day of what you do and what you've committed your life to do so thank thank you (laughs) to all our listeners thank you once again for tuning in we hope you feel loved and encouraged by today's content Be sure to stay tuned for more exciting updates and our gathered news on our Instagram at girlswhogather, as well as our website, www.thegirlswhogather.com. Also, remember to share and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Be on the lookout for season updates, announcements, merch, media, meetups, and more. There is always something for you to be involved in and a place to belong. You are so loved. Until next time, bye Gather Girls.